Hello, Danny and Alex here for the Daily Weird. Hello, it's Alex in the Daily Weird. Alright, so what we're talking about for June is the first one is bees and why they're important, why they're in trouble, and how to help them. Yeah, so I heard on the news that they're actually becoming endangered. Yes, there's many different species of bees. There's about, let's say, about like 500 species to be in North America. Oh, wow. And just about all of them we don't really know a lot about. We know about the genus Bumbus. We know about the solitary bees and the leaf cutter bees, but we don't know of the sweat bees and the smaller different types of bees that are just solitary. We think of bees as like honeybees that are social creatures that live in hives, but not all bees are like that. Okay. Um, why they're important? Well, bees help fertilize plants. When they go from flower to flower, they're actually sucking nectar and using pollen on their legs and they collect the hairs and stuff. Okay. And they collect, um, they collect the pollen and the nectar from the flowers and they bring it back to their nest and they feed their grubs and they feed their uh, societies with that. Cool. And they're actually fertilizing the plant, so to speak, so it can make seeds for the next generation. Awesome. There might be a tomato plant, or that might be a pepper plant, or it might be a margarita or wild bergamot, or it might be a cup plant or a compass plant, and they're going from flower to flower to do that. Nice. Um, so without bees, we would stand to lose a lot of crops like watermelon and cherries and almonds and things oh, wow. like that. Okay. Because they're dependent on bees to pollinate. In fact, farmers import bees from other areas, honeybees, to pollinate their almond trees. Oh, cool. So that's just what they do. Any other questions? No. no I, I, I totally didn't know that they were required for a lot of crops. Yeah, I we mean, have... I, we have designed some crops in order to be self-fertilizing, like yeah. peppers and things can sometimes do by wind. And that's a good thing because bees are getting very rare because of pesticides that we're using. Yeah. Because of the way the landscape is nowadays being so developed and so altered by human activity and how rare the native flowers are becoming. That's really sad. It is. Um, but bees are very important to our food, and they're also important to the security of our food. Like, a lot of crops will not bear without bees. Like, melons won't, cherries won't, lots of brambles won't. They need bees in order to pollinate them. Cool. And not to say the wildflowers won't either. Um, how to help them? The best way to help bees is to plant native plants. Okay. Plant plants that are indigenous to your area, that were here before European settlement, if were practical, not all of them will adapt to cultivation. Like certain ones, like lady slippers and certain um, fringed orchids and stuff will not adapt, and trilliums. But others make wonderful garden plants, and you can plant them in your yard or landscape just as you would a tomato or a hydrangea or a... Oh, cool. In fact, a lot of them will grow better than those hydrangeas or those lilacs or those peonies or those other plants because they're adapted to our climate. They're adapted to survive 
in this zone. Got it. Um, but the be- and another way to help bees is to not use any chemicals. Don't use like whey like, or, yeah. or oil can or anything like that. Just let everything be natural and water it when well and mulch and just hope the mulch doesn't have anything. But sometimes mulch can impair nesting abilities in bees. But we have so many weeds that's probably in most gardens it's probably a good idea. You can buy nest boxes for bees, just like you can buy nest boxes for birds. Nice. So that's a good way to help bees. Yep. Um, another way you can help bees is to plant organic or heirloom produce. And get rid of the lawn. Lawns aren't very good either. They're yeah. really not that great. Which brings us to our next topic. Save the saparians by gardening. Okay, so what we, exactly are saparians? Saparians are a genus of sunflowers. They're kind okay. of like the wild sunflower cousins that once grew in the tall grass prairie region. I think you've seen like certain prairie landscapes with plants that have weird leaves or they're really big or they're really tall and they have yellow flowers. Those are the group I'm talking about. The cool. Um, most of them, along with the other plants, were plowed out when the Europeans came. They plowed over 90% of the tall grass prairie, and now we are left with a mere remnant in railroad tracks and various broken landscapes that are mere shadows of what they looked like hundreds of years ago. Wow. So the best way to save the slipuriums is to bring them into domestication, bring them into your garden, some of them will spread, some of them have very deep tap roots, so research the type that you want to grow, if at all possible. Research the type that you want to grow and make sure that it can live in where you want it because some of them get very, very deep tap roots, like compass plant can get tap root that's 15 feet into the ground. Oh wow. And it can get to be 10 to 8 feet tall, so it gets to be a monster plant. Okay. I have about four of them, and they're getting to be pretty big already, but they're going to take years to grow up. Yeah. And they can live as long as a person. Oh, they can? Yeah, awesome. Slipurium, some of the compass plants can live a hundred years. Okay. So, yeah. Uh, another Slipurium I really like is called Cup Plant, and I have six of them in my community garden. Okay, cool. Slipuriums have big leaves like rhubarb, but the way to tell them apart is that rhubarb has a fuzzy stalk and its leaves are roundish like like um, rhubarb or I should say burdock. Burdock. burdock is a plant that looks a lot like saparium. Burdock has leaves that are kind of roundish like rhubarb mm-hmm. but it doesn't have a red stalk. That's a weed. Okay. Burdock is a weed from Europe and it just takes over and really degrades the landscape. And has a I have noticed some but slipperiums have leaves that are more jagged edged and they're more pointy, like an arrowhead. And they have yellow flowers, really pretty yellow flowers on the top. Oh. All slipperiums have yellow flowers, but not all of them have the same leaf structure. Cup plant has a clump that forms offshoots and seeds rapidly, sunflower-like seeds. Prairie dock forms clumps, but it has most of its leaves on the bottom and then it has a tall flower stalk. And compass plant has clumps like cup plant, but its leaves are like hands and can actually tell you where to go in a, uh, if you're lost on the prairie or if you're lost. It can be used as a primitive compass. 
because it's axles point to where the sun comes. So yeah, it's a really interesting plant, and the uh, sap from the compass plant was used as chewing gum by Indian children long ago. Oh wow, that's pretty Yeah, neat. it was used, I don't know if it tastes sweet, and they're so rare now that you don't really want to be using it for that. Yeah. But I'm sure they could maybe market it and use it in a garden setting for that, I don't know. Yeah. But then again, the seeds from a lot of these plants are poisonous for people. They're better for birds and wildlife than they are for people. But they're still necessary to bring in pollinators and bring in butterflies and goldfinches and things like that. Awesome. I don't know how many butterflies or goldfinches I'm going to get in my garden because of the fact that I have deer fencing up. But if I didn't have that deer fencing up, they'd get nibbled down to the nose. Yeah. So I kind of have to use that. Uh, in areas, these plants are not deer resistant. The cup plant is a more deer resistant, I find, than the uh, compass plant, but they're vulnerable to deer browsing. So plant them in areas where deer aren't a problem or where in the sunny areas, very, very sunny. Cup plant loves water and nutrient rich soil that can grow very aggressively and spread, yeah. but it is a very good plant. You want to plant it and you want to share it with other gardeners. Cool. Okay, I think Rosenweed is another one I haven't tried. There's about three or four varieties of Slipuriums that I haven't tried. But I'm going to try Prairie Dock next year, and I'll let you know how that cool. goes. Awesome. Okay, now the next one is Native Trees and how to best use them in a landscape. So, would that be considered like oaks, pines? Yep, pretty much. Spruces? Well, like it depends. Some spruces are like Norway spruce or blue spruce. Those aren't native. They are. Okay. Those are just ornamental trees that people plant. Or Norway maples are just ornamentals that people plant. They're actually bad because they can spread into the ecosystem and become weeds. Oh, wow. Yeah. Like Norway maples. We have a Norway maple that's starting to weed on our yard. And we have Siberian elms that are starting to weed on our yard. Yeah. Please don't plant those plants. Those plants are very bad. In actuality, it's very hard to find them anymore at least the Siberian elm because they're on the invasive plant in our species list. Okay. But um, native trees would be like oaks, hickory, beeches, um, persimmons, Kentucky coffee trees. I really like blue beech, but blue beech is a smaller tree. Yeah. Um, I like red fall color, so blue beech is good for purplish red fall color. Nice. Um, you want to make sure you plant at least 12 to 13 feet away from a house. Okay. You want to make sure to call a utility company to check and see if you have lines under your ground before you plant. And you want to make sure you don't have any power lines and you want to make sure that your yard is big enough for a fully mature tree in 50, 60 years from now. Correct. Yeah. Because some of these trees will grow into mammoths like oaks and Minnesota has not been a state long enough to see the oaks grow up because we plant all these saplings and they can grow to be over a hundred feet tall and wide. People need to think before they do that. Yeah, exactly. So there are plenty of smaller trees if you don't have room for a large shade tree in your yard. You don't have to plant an elm or an oak to get the same satisfaction. You can plant a dogwood, you can plant a blue beech, you can plant a hickory, you can plant something smaller that won't overtake your yard. Granted, hickories aren't really small trees, but they take so long to grow, they might as well. Exactly, yeah. So, any other trees you might think of? 
when you I was those? thinking that there's also the uh, uh, it, well cedar. What is cedar? Is cedar cedar is native. It's it is native. native. Okay, but it's something that is like a pine. It's an evergreen, like okay. white it's pine, an evergreen. red okay. pine. And do you still eat cedar? So it's not like it's something that will just you know. Okay. Eastern cedar, you know. You want to mulch trees really heavily. You don't want plant them in a lawn. Exactly. And you want to give them deep watering for the first three to five years after planting. Deep watering once okay. or twice a week. Yeah. Really, really deep watering. And please don't stake them unless they're on a windy site. If you stake a tree, you risk to girdle the sap blow in the bark, or you can make the limb weak, or you can cause a problem with the um way the tree handles storms in the future because it's always had a nurse to help it. It Got doesn't it. develop a strength on its own that it needs to to survive our storms. Okay. Now granted you have more insurance with some native trees like oaks and hickories and coffee trees and things like that. But if you have a weak wooded tree like some maples are weak wooded, some cottonwoods are weak wooded and you stake it, you're going to risk having a storm come and knock down the tree in the future. Got it. Okay. So you got to make sure not to stake them for more than two years, if at all. Okay. Yep. Okay, I think our next topic is a drink the world can't do without coffee. Oh, coffee. Yeah. <laughs> I you know, am not much of a coffee drinker myself, okay. but uh, I do drink coffee about once a week just to, you know, keep my... I drink coffee like maybe every day, every <laughs> two days. I'm a big coffee drinker. Uh, coffee comes from Central America. It's not native to the U.S. Although there is a tree that's called Kentucky coffee tree, it is not a coffee substitute. Dandelion root is actually a coffee substitute. Okay. It can be used to make a coffee-like substitute from its roots. But anyway, um, I wouldn't make coffee beans from Kentucky coffee trees. Don't do it. No. <laughs> um, but anyway, you need the Central American, and you know where to get coffee. Anyone can go to like a co-op or go to like a coffee store and buy coffee at Starbucks or Caribou or anything like that. Um, there are many different brands of coffee, but it all comes from a bean. And the bean was imported by the Spaniards. I think I know the history of chocolate better than I do coffee. But coffee grows on many Central American, Hawaii has really good coffee, tropical countries grow it, and people try to grow it as a house plant, but it's not an easy house plant to grow. No. Okay, do you want to move? Huh? Do you want to move? Yeah, move, because... Yeah. Why don't you pause it? Alright, we are back, and we are now moved to the front porch. It's a little quieter, so... Yep. Mm. All right, go ahead. So, coffee. Okay, well, as I said, coffee is a Central South American native. It's grown in Hawaii. It's grown in areas with warm winters like Florida and Texas and things like that. Probably more than Hawaii. Central America, Colombia has really good coffee. But anyway, you can go anywhere in, like, America and get coffee these days. You can get medium roast. You can get dark roast. You can get light roast. It's pretty common drink. It has caffeine and people like it. Yeah. So that's pretty much coffee. This is another one. America. 
Land of the Alien, Home of the Weed, and Holocaust Family. I was thinking, America, Land of the Free, Home of the Brave, you know, that, that, yeah. that saying. Well, America has been a melting pot of different cultures, different, um, different races, different creeds, and that's a good thing, but it's also a bad thing in that we brought over so many plants from other areas of the world and allowed them to run amok. And now our native flora is threatened with extinction because of how the um, weeds have taken over. There's just so many of them on weeds, like the clovers, dandelions, creeping Charlie, creeping bellflower. I could go on and on about the different types of weeds that are found in North America. Indeed, just in Minnesota alone, there's over 500 species of weeds. Oh, wow. 500? Yeah, over. Like six, over seven hundred okay. wow. species. And the, the worst non-native plants are found on a list if you go on the DNR website. And you can find the DNR website and um, get, um, you can get a recommendation about how to control these weeds. But a lot of them just can't be controlled long term. They can be controlled short term, but you have to keep coming back and pulling up the roots and pulling the weeds as much as you can. Mulch is your friend. Mulch helps you with weeds and it helps you stop the spread of weeds and it helps you aerate the soil, moisturize the soil, and it makes the planting look more professional and more good. Yes, yeah. Although not all mulches are created equal. You don't want colored mulch. You don't want mulch that has, um, what's, uh, thionide or strychnine or whatever. Yeah, Some yeah. of them have chemicals in them. Uh, you want to research your mulch. I get mine from Home Depot. It's a good quality. I mean, not Home Depot. I get mine from Menards. Um, sometimes I go to the local mulch pit, but that's really a, a mixed bag because they're huge piles of it and you have to haul it and it's a lot of work it's better to get it in bags but you got to really know your mulch before you get it because some of the mulch has been treated some of it's colored some of it that may have toxins in it and you know mulch is good but it does have a few drawbacks one drawback is bees have find it harder to nest in the um nest in the ground with mulch but i mean you can buy nest boxes for that purpose correct yeah so yeah, Alien, home of the weed and how it got that way. When settlers came, they some of them, some of them brought back plants that they thought would do well for medicine or do well for edibility. And they just planted them with no knowledge, knowledge or, yeah. or no uh, area of how to control them. And they encouraged them. And then they destroyed all of the land to make way for their stuff. And now we have barely any land left. Wow. So that is number five. Number six. What do you think of when you think of giant salamanders? Do you think of movies and things like that? Well, giant salamanders. Like the Komodo dragon. No, that's a lizard. That's that is a lizard, so it's not a salamander. In prehistoric times, salamanders grew bigger than a car. Oh, wow. Some species of salamanders grew very, very large, and they were huge. Nowadays, the largest salamander in the world is found in Japan. It's found in the freezing cold mountain streams of Japan. Oh, wow. It can reach almost 20 pounds or 30 pounds. It can go five feet long. 
four to five feet. It's an endangered species. Yeah, I'm sure. But it's rare, and people have it in the Chinese, not the Chinese, the Japanese zoos and stuff. They have these huge hellbenders. America has its own version of the hellbender, but it's nothing compared to what they have in Japan. Okay. How big it is. Japan has some giant salamanders. I could imagine. But it's found in rushing water under rocks. Oh, okay. So they eat fish and dead animals and things, and they just get bigger and bigger, and they live in cold water. Wow. And they are hot, uh, cold-blooded. Yep. Yeah, okay. Okay. The next one is Save the Songbirds. Dangerous facing native birds in the 21st century. Okay, I'm going to start this with there are some bird species like the eastern meadowlark that have declined 86% since 1966. I, I've heard of the eastern meadowlark. Yeah, uh, it's declined, its population has declined 86% since 1966 to 2014. The reason for it is insects. Oh, okay. People spray their yards for bugs, and they don't like bugs. And most of our native birds, over 70% of them, feed their young with insects. So if you spray for bugs, you're also killing the food that birds eat. And when you have a lawn and mow it and do all those things to it, you're destroying habitat and other things. But at the same time, there's so many weeds in the environment now that it's hard to um, go back to having it be like it's impossible. Yeah, exactly. So you have to kind of make a balance. You have to like have places you can have, you know, the plants grow and places where you can have it mowed. Um, some birds just don't do well in cities, like certain birds like meadowlarks and red-headed woodpeckers and other things like that. But other birds like robins and house sparrows, which are not native by the way, I'll get to those later. But morning doves do very, very well in cities and they actually are doing so well that they're becoming very common. Yeah. Wow. There's a lot of other threats to birds besides just the fact that we've altered the landscape and we've changed the flora and fauna. Another threat is cats. People let their cats outside. They think they're doing their cats a favor by letting them outside, but they're really not. There's some serious diseases that cats can get when they're outside. One of them is called feline leukemia. Okay. Another is called FIV, which is the same. It's actually the feline model form of HIV. And it can be spread through fighting with other cats when they fight or when they share food bowls and things like that. And it works the same way in the cat. It actually destroys their immune system much as the same way as someone with HIV. But cats can live better with FIV than humans can with HIV. And unlike HIV, it's not spread through unprotected sex. So, FIV is spread through fighting and bite wounds and things like that through the cats. Another thing that cats have to worry about is free-ranging animals like coyotes, um, bears in some areas, hawks like owls. Big owls will take a cat if the cats are small enough. Um, 
But the main threat is coyotes, mean people, uh, diseases, cars. And cats take a heavy toll on our birds. There's an estimate that cats catch about 40 to 30 million birds every year. Oh, wow. Because they just hunt and hunt and hunt. They have no off switch with their hunting instinct. And there's nothing you can really do to tame that instinct. Even neutering the cat won't really... That takes away the sexual instinct of the cat. It doesn't take away the hunting instinct of the cat. The best way to save birds from cats is to keep your cat indoors. And and range your, make your cats more stimulated indoors. Give them scratching posts and play the bird toys and things like that. Yeah. You don't want to just throw your cat inside and just not stimulate it or not give it an enrichment. But at the same time, you don't want to let your cat have free reign of the outside because of the dangers. There's there's an estimate that says that cats that are outdoors where they live to see double digits, where the cats that are indoors are fed a species appropriate diet, can live to be almost 30. Wow. Or 20, late 20s. We had a cat that lived to be in her 20s, in its 20s when we lived with my mom and dad when I lived there. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. the cat that we had lived to be almost 22 years old, so, yep. yeah. Yep. But there's a lot of myths about cats, and yeah. But anyway, back to the birds. Another threat facing birds is windows. People put clear glass windows up, and I saw the saddest sight. I saw a goldfinch that had been hit by a window and just it was dead on the ground, and I felt so bad. Well, there's really nothing we can do unless you can put up bird-safe windowing, and that's expensive, but it will save the life of the bird because the bird will see its reflection or see something and then be able to divert its flight away. But yeah. just regular windows are very bad for birds because birds fly into them all the time in buildings and houses and things like that. Yeah, it's probably not the best. Yeah. yeah. Um, another thing that's hurting birds is the invasion of house sparrows that have been brought over in the 1830s. People brought them over in the 1830s and because the English sparrow reminded them of home reminded them of the good old country so they let it go and let about 20 to 13 pairs go it is now found in every 48 state alaska hawaii mexico everywhere i saw them on vacation when i went to hawaii wow so they're in hawaii they're in minnesota they have over door venerations in a year they're just invasive and they take over the nesting cavities of other birds and they really cause problem for birds to rebuild their populations. In fact, some people have taken to trapping them as a means of control and giving the nature centers to feed hawks because there's no way to really, they're one of the only bird species in North America that's not protected by any law. I mean, you can't fire a gun in city limits, but you can trap them, you can make them into pads, you can do whatever you want with house sparrows and European starlings because they're invasive and they're pests and they're not seen as native at all. Wow. So those are the two birds you really don't want to encourage, are house sparrows and European starling. Um, but yeah, another way to save songbirds is to leave vegetation, like native vegetation intact. Okay. Build nest boxes for them, but make sure that the nest boxes are taken over by pest birds like house sparrows or um, 
European style lanes. Um, but yeah, those are some really heavy dangers that are facing birds and we stand to lose a good 30% of our birds if we're not careful. Yeah, we don't want that. No. Which reminds me of what? 28. Okay. And this is the last one. Extinction is forever, not just for Christmas. Meaning that once a species is gone, it'll stay gone. It's never going to come back. It's an extinction is something that happens. And once it happens, it's gone. Granted, there is a process called de-extinction that scientists are working on. But it's controversial. We don't know how the animals will react to being genetically cloned in a lab. Most of those animals they're trying to clone are animals that can no longer live in our world, like mammoths and mastodons and things like that. Yeah. Um, there's hundreds and hundreds of extinct animals that are that were found. A lot of them are really cool, like the largest. Um, marsupial carnivore in Australia, the thylacine, the Tasmanian tiger. Wow. That was shot to death by ranchers in the 1800s and had a bounty put on its head of like a $400 bounty for each one. And they just shot and shot and shot and shot them all and they're dead. They tried to do the same with dingoes. And in today's world, the dingo is also very rare because of interbreeding with domestic dogs. Wow, okay. Domestic dogs can interbreed with dingoes. Just like domestic dogs can interbreed with wolves. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, I'm a little shorter on the Daily Weird today than we were before. But yeah, this is my this is my uh, podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. Do you have any questions, Danny? No, that was really good. I enjoyed all the topics. It was very informative. Okay. And very educational. And I hope all you listeners out there who listen to our podcast enjoy our podcast and our subjects. If you ever want to hit us up um, with suggestions or ideas, feel free to hit us up. Um, I can set up an uh, email um, and I will add that to the description below. And it will give Alex and I both access to your emails. So if you ever want to email us directly, I will get that set up and you will hear it about the new email address in our next podcast. Anyway, uh, from then on, you should see the, the new email address in this description shortly and we'll go from there. But everybody have a blessed day. You too. You have a good day too as well. And thank you so much for listening. Bye.